We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Our study today is in the, the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Just to get us up to speed, I'm going to do a basic summary of the points that get, get us up to this chapter. Just using uh, combining the accounts of, of Matthew, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 24, and Luke also, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Just to bring us up to, to, to speed, to bring us to the point of chapter 2, just a, a slight paraphrase, right? <clears throat> we found out by this time that uh, there was a young lady, a young lady named Mary who was a virgin, right? She was truly a virgin. Um, We don't know what her true age was. Could have been anywhere from the ages of 16, 14, 16, 18, but she was a young lady. Uh, Back in the day, they were uh, betrothed at an early age. Amen? They were married at an early age. But what happened was is an angel appears to her. And tells her, young lady, uh, the Lord looked fairly upon you. You're going to have a baby. And basically she said, well, you know, how's that going to happen? I am a virgin. And he said, well, no. It's going to be by power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you. And through a miraculous supernatural event, you're going to become pregnant. And does the Lord lie? Does he keep his promises? So what happened? She became pregnant, right? And she was betrothed at that time to a young man named Joseph. Um, I think, um, I think um, Richie touched on this. But in the marriage process for a Jew, it was more or less an arranged marriage from the time they were almost born or kids. First, there was the arrangement between the parents who said, you know what, I like your mija for my mijo. Let's, let's work it out, right? Then after that, it became public, and they were betrothed, okay? They were betrothed. It was an engagement type thing, but kind of more than an engagement because it couldn't be separated by anything more than divorce, anything less than divorce. They couldn't just say, oh, I don't like you anymore and break up. No, it had a beneficial divorce. So by this time, um, Joseph knows Right, my betrothed, my Mary, the one I love, is pregnant, but it's not of me. So, Joseph, being a knowledgeable young Jewish man, knew that there was two options for him. He thought. He thought there was two options. He said, first. I could denounce her. This is what he thought in his mind. I could denounce her publicly to the religious authorities and she would be stoned and killed because according to Deuteronomy 22.22, that's what happened with women or men who were caught in adultery. They were stoned to death. But then he had another thought, which I'm sure was just encouraged and motivated by the fact that he was a just man and he truly did love her. He said, 
to himself, I'll divorce her quietly so as not to cause a stir, so no terminal consecutions would, uh, consequences would, would result. But how many of us know that God has his own options? What did God do? By way of the angel Gabriel, and by way of a dream, he sends him to Joseph. And in the dream, Gabriel says, no, 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 no. Don't do what you're thinking. Take her as your wife because of what is in her womb is the Son of God. It is the Son of God. It is a miraculous event. And Joseph believed him. Joseph believed him. So that brings us to chapter 2 of Luke. We'll read the verses. I'll read them. You guys can follow along. Chapter 2 of Luke, verse 1 through 8. And it says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinus was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Are you guys aware of who wrote this gospel? Luke, right? What do we know about Luke? Doctor. Educated man, right? What do we know about the fact of how he started this gospel? Who was he talking to? You guys remember? Let's go back. I'll read from verse 1. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them, delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an what? An orderly account, most excellent Theophilus that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So keep in mind, Luke had in mind to write something orderly. Why do I say that? Because his writing style differentiates him from those who would be telling stories. His is not a fairy tale. His is a historical account of events that really happened. And that's what he wanted to bring across to his readers, to us. So as we read into this, these first few verses, you'll find out why he does what he does. He says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinus was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Why was he naming names? 
He was attempting to set a time and a place of the events that occurred. Okay? He didn't start off by saying once upon a time. Right? He actually said it was during the reign of Caesar Augustus. Who was Caesar Augustus? He was an emperor, a Roman emperor, and by all accounts, one of the best. I think he was actually the first Roman emperor. He had actually managed, speaking of, of Caesar Augustus, to bring peace to a large region, the whole Greco-Roman area, which is basically all those countries that were the boundaries of the Mediterranean Sea. Okay? He had brought peace. But don't misunderstand me. Not the kind of peace that we have. Okay? Not the kind of peace that we have. It was a dark, imposed peace. A peace that he imposed by military strength. In other words, any uprisings, any rebellions by any of the nations within his empire were squelched and crushed immediately. So people were at peace because they they knew what was best for them. Do we think that they had peace of heart? No, only Jesus brings that. That's why in the word we read that he came to a dark area. Even though peace existed, there was order, people's hearts were not in order. Just as many of our hearts are not in order if we don't have Christ in our lives. Amen? So this is to set the, the, the time and the place of what's going to happen. Um, it's, it's funny. Um, Caesar Augustus had a real high opinion of himself, okay, because of what he had accomplished, right? Um, he had actually demanded that he be called Augustus. Any of you guys know what Augustus means? It means venerated one, the one that was worthy of honor and glory. That's what he demanded people call him. You know what his real name was? Octavian. He must be glad he changed his name. Could you imagine? Octavian. No. Doesn't sound too impressive. So he changed it to Caesar Augustus. So even though, even though he was a great man of his day, and historically probably a very great man, in the presence of a great God, he was as puny as any of us. Okay? So what he did was he called to have a census. Basically, he wanted to know how many people were in his empire. Not for the sake of the people, but for the sake of his pockets. He wanted to be able to have the correct taxation rates for the correct amount of people. He wanted his empire to grow financially. So that was it. He wasn't doing anything great. He just wanted to count how much change there was in his empire. And he thought that what he was doing was of his own um, idea, his own gumption, his own great revelation. He said, I'm going to count the people. But we know that God will use any manner, 
any instrument, any pawn on a chessboard to what? Have his will done. So this big census that occurred, you know what it amounted to be? A manner of having Joseph and Mary come to their hometown. That's all it was. It was to set things in order and to have Micah 5.2 be fulfilled. Right? In Micah 5.2, it says that in the smallest town, in Ephrathah, in, Bel- in, in Bethlehem, the Savior would be born, to paraphrase it. Do any of us know what Bethlehem means? It means house of bread. Isn't it kind of appropriate that our sustenance, our daily bread, would be born in a town named the House of Bread. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Does the Lord do things by accident? No. So he was just a, a tool in God's toolbox that was being used. He had a high estimation of himself, but the Lord knew what he was doing. That brings us to verse 4. So Joseph, being the good citizen he was, as all the people who who existed during that reign, he obeyed the decree. It affected him as it affected everyone else in the kingdom, in the empire. And he needed to go back, back back to the place of his ancestry. And who was his greatest ancestor? David. David the king, right? So he went back to Bethlehem. Back to the town of David, back to the the house of bread, to be registered with his Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Okay, guys, imagine this. Um, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, they say it's an approximate, approximately an eighty mile jaunt, an eighty mile excursion, a journey of eighty miles. Okay. You might say, that's, that's no big deal. Okay, but think about it twice. Okay? This young lady is pregnant. We don't know how far along she is, but even a woman or a man in the best uh, shape would have trouble making a journey that long on foot. Could you imagine, Sister Anna? Could any of you ladies imagine... Oh, yeah, you're going to have your baby at Kaiser. Really? Yeah, but in Vatura. <laughs> and you're going to have to walk there. You would have had the privilege of walking on sidewalks and grass and pretty little lawn areas and parkways. And you still would have made it a six or seven day journey. Could you imagine this young woman being pregnant? I'm, I'm, I'm sure Joseph was a gentleman, probably put her on the donkey for a while. But at times, even the donkey had to rest. Right? So she walked. Could you imagine? I don't know how far along she was, but it took her a good amount of time to get there. Now imagine this young couple arriving in Bethlehem. Okay? Imagine that. 
So Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with, his, with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So they get there. Like I say, I don't know how long she had been pregnant, but apparently just from the storyline, she got there and they weren't there even long enough to acquire proper housing for a young mother to be and her new baby that would be coming. It wasn't even long enough to do that. So apparently they didn't even have time to rest. They didn't have time to find a proper place. And as um, Pastor Manny so aptly put a few weeks ago, from the cradle to the cross, it only got worse for Jesus. Okay? He starts off where? In a stable. In a manger. Um, they say it could have been a stable, it could have been a cave, it could have been anywhere, but the truth be known, it was a place for animals. Okay? Now imagine this young lady, tender young lady, having gone through that whole journey, coming to a place and finally saying, well, Joseph, this is the only place we can get. Let's settle in. And before she knew it, she was in labor. Before she knew it, she had a baby boy in her lap. That baby boy. We've all heard that song, right? Mary, did you know? And that makes me stop and think. As this tender young woman is there, cuddling, wrapping this young child in, slaughter, in, in, in swaddling cloths, caressing his little face, perhaps kissing him on the cheek, a beautiful sight in the, own, the most uncommon of, of locations. Okay? Think about who he was. Emmanuel, God with us. What did, what did the angel Gabriel say? His name would be Jesus because he would save the people from their sins. What did Isaiah tell us? Wonderful, counselor, prince of peace, mighty God. If we read uh, chapter 1 of, of John, let's, well, let's go there. Verse 1 through 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the light was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. 
Verse 14. This will tell you who this young baby is. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. Isaiah calls him mighty, mighty counselor, prince of peace, mighty God. Gabriel says this is his, Jesus will be his name, which was what he was going to do. It was more like a title. He would save us from our sins. He's our savior. Also in Isaiah and in, in Matthew, we find out he is Emmanuel, God with us. So picture that, God with us. God in the flesh, this tender little child with all the power to sustain creation within him. Is that kind of, uh, what would you call that, irony? What would you call that? Incredible. He deserved... To be laid in a bedroom in the most spectacular palace on earth with seats of satin, silk, and velvet, with linens of the brightest colors, with a room that was just spectacular, fabulously furnished, right? But what did he get? He got laid in a manger. You guys know what a manger is, right? A feeding trough where animals stick their heads. And what was his bedding? Hay, wood, and stubble. And when when I think of Mary wrapping him that way, I think of old school moms, especially Hispanic moms. They would wrap their little child like a tamale. You'd say, how is that child breathing? Right? Well, I think they got it from here, Right? He was well-wrapped. Nowadays, I see moms with the kids. Two days later, they're in, they're in tank tops and a pair of, uh, of, of some pampers, and that's it. Right? But, but Mary was old school. She wrapped him. You know, he deserved to be in a light-filled room in which where he would only add to that light. But he was brought to the gloomiest, dungeous, most repugnant-smelling room you could find. And that's where it starts. Right? He came to his own. It starts right there. Not only through his, his preaching and his gospel, but from the time he was a child. From the cradle, right? To the cross. Always, always in... In submission. Let's read Philippians real quick. Chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Not used to this Bible.
Think about Jesus. Think about where he is. Think about his whole life. And listen to this. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He came as one of us. Can his birth be any more ordinary? I think it went beyond ordinary to being extraordinarily dull. Because if, if you look at it, Luke doesn't really paint a grandiose picture. We know all these things because we've read the further chapters of the Bible. But God in the flesh, in a barn, in a stable, in a cave. Right? It makes you understand when you read Philippians that this is the greatest gift of all. We speak of the gifts of Christmas. We speak of, of um, generosity. We speak of, of being splendid. Can we think of anything greater, of receiving anything greater than this? Life eternal through the personal touch of God? He came amongst us. He was with us. He was one of us, for goodness sakes. And God all at the same time. He subjected himself to being low as we are. Even from the time of birth. You know, if there's something that I wish we would all get out of this by the end of tonight is that God has touched us in the most personal of ways, the most intimate of ways. God in the flesh. That baby being rocked by his mommy. God in the flesh. Wearing rags instead of a princely robe. Waking up to the Bane of sheep, a cow here and there. Right? Think of this. Thinking of, think of driving through Chino after it's rained. No offense to anyone who lives in Chino, but, right? Think of that. Think of laying, laying your newborn child. Have you ever, guys ever been out to those dairies? Have you ever seen those troughs? Sure, they're made out of metal now, but they're just full of hay. They're full of babas. You know, guys, you know what babas is? <laughs> when, a, when a cow eats, it drools. Okay? I'm sure his mom took every care and precaution to clean up, make as big a span as, as possible, but she still ended up laying them in, in hay and stubble. God Almighty, guys. Is that generous? Is that splendid? Is that loving beyond belief? To come and be once one of us? That's the Christmas story. That's, that's what we need to meditate on. Don't just go through the whole hum routine of every day. Sit back and meditate. God in the flesh came. He was amongst us. And he still dwells amongst us, beside us, in our heart, through the Holy Spirit. 
Now I need to know from you guys, the Lord needs to know from you guys, how many of you really meditate on that? How many of you can say, I've got that special relationship with my Lord? How many can you really say, I've thought about what he went through? I thought about what he's given me. What has he given me? Life eternal in his presence. Pretty amazing. Right? God is so good. God is so good. If you can leave here knowing that, the point has been made. Amen? We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.